Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Greetings! We are once again without regular co-hosts, Lee Younger. He will be back next week. Do not fret. Do not fear. Sound like I was going to start an emo song there, but I kind of ran out of gas. Um, but that's okay. Uh, we do have a great show for you lined up. we got a couple of your excellent questions. We have an Say That interview. Jed sat down with author Chris Bollinger. So we're going to have that talk. Uh, a lot of fun stuff they got into. But we must start with something that's coming up more and more on the show. A TikTok emergency. Uh-oh. Yep. Never good when that happens. You've done something that's caused a podcast hosted by a middle-aged men to talk about TikTok, and that's embarrassing for us all. <laughs> First of all, we're again it. That's right. I like my social media based around poking, and I always have. <laughs> I don't care for these kind of innovations. But as has happened on every social media platform, whether you were on Facebook, Twitter, uh, MySpace, those of us who spend some very confusing time on Tumblr, I'm sure on a Friendster or what have you, it's, it's happened. Um, the Christians find it, and then they find a way to be weird. Yeah. And this particular set of weirdness um, is a young man, and we'll, we'll drop the audio in here, who thinks he's discovered the answer to a mystery. And not a fun mystery like Bigfoot or why the left sock is the one that always disappeared. Kind of a totally made up mystery that's not a mystery at all because we all know the answer. But uh, that answer is, uh, you know, why aren't women dating men in the church anymore? Hmm. Let's go to some expert analysis now. So I think I figured out why women are dating outside the church these days, and it's pretty simple. Because church boys aren't masculine anymore. Just walk into a church and walk up to 10 guys, talk to them. They do not radiate masculine energy. I promise you, if every guy that went to church also went to the gym every single day, we wouldn't have this unequally yoked dating problem. Okay, so you heard that. Um, and I need you to picture the visual that goes along with it, which is a very... Um, Curly-headed, earnest young gentleman who's Caucasian, of course, who looks like he's on the verge of tears at all times. Mm. Um, in the way overproduced kind of YouTube lighting where he clearly has a key light and a fill light and like the background is, you know, just that perfect amount of blurred to show that he really, really put a lot of effort into this thing that he's trying to pass off as like, Hey guys, you know, I just had a thought and threw my phone up. And what about this? Um, he has a set for this. So we have, why aren't the women dating the men in the church? And you may, if you, especially if you listen to this podcast for a long time, you may note that I, Jed, I would say kind of the first five years of this podcast seem to be at times based solely around that question. Yep. Yep. A lot of dating questions in the early history of this podcast. Fun. Uh, say that fact. That is why there are timestamps in the episode description now, because, yes. my, because my friend Todd, I was talking to him once about the podcast, said, you know, I enjoy it. It's great to hang out with you guys. Um, being that I am not a 20 something year old woman, sometimes a lot of these questions don't apply to me. And uh, is there something we can do about that? And I said, how about I write some time so you can do some scrubbing? He said, that sounds great. And then we had an innovative breakthrough. Scrub-a-dub. <laughs> Absolutely. So we we certainly dealt with that question a lot. And Jed, some of the answers we came up with were um, there aren't any men in this church. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Popular a lot of that one, on. particularly in some uh, some denominations in the inner city. Um, uh, a guy, you let a guy, 19-year-old in a fedora, write a book, and you broke the, almost broke the concept of human procreation. Yeah, yeah. Worth noting, can't emphasize this enough. Said dude in said fedora who wrote said book has since recanted all of that. So that's that's worth noting. Including the being Christian part. Yeah. He really, really did a full recant. Yeah. Can't backpedal much harder than that. Um, well, to, to, clo to reference something we closed with on the last episode uh, with the folks on the family email, uh, you spent 40 years creating an aura of fear and judgment. Yes. 
and shame around this one issue. Who, who could have seen that something bad will come out the other side of that? Look, I just want you to be terrified of all kinds of physical affection for the first 21 years of your life and then immediately start pumping out grandchildren. Is that so much to ask? That's all we're looking for. Deal doesn't, or no deal. Doesn't seem that hard. Deal. Thank you. I like deal or no deal. I think that would be <laughs> a much more effective uh, Christ, older Christian parenting transition. Be like, <laughs> all right, this briefcase. Let's see what's in this briefcase. A weekly kind of awkward phone call, but I won't ask you about your dating life. Do you want to take that? Or do you want to see if there's something better out there? <laughs> yeah. Just to be clear, Jed and I would be at home screaming, take the case, take the oh, case. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, you got to know when you're playing with house money. Yeah. All right. You're pushing for the big one. And this one is, oh, why aren't you married yet? Is the only question I ever ask you. That's <laughs> unfortunate. So uh, there's a lot of uh, good theories for why there may not be as much dating in the church as there once was. Uh, again, starting first for, and foremost with not as many people there. Yeah. There's a uh, kind of a fish stocked in the pond situation going on there. Um, but th- this gentleman um, comes up with the idea of, and I quote, men in the church don't radiate masculine energy. I don't have any idea what that is. I don't either. So we can only go on his example of if you go to the gym. Yeah. I, now, I, I've i been known to go to the gym. It's a community gym. I go at 7 o'clock in the morning most days. And uh, I would say the only energy radiating out of that time is everyone radiating, please leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess has a certain masculine tinge to it in some ways. Sure. But, you know, my AirPods are in. I'm focusing. Please don't talk to me. That's the, <laughs> that's the energy that radiates out of a good gym. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know what, what he means by that. Here's what I, I do know. And I, my wife showed me this TikTok as she is prone, prone to finding horrific Christian things on social media and showing them to me. And then that we turn that into content for you good people. Oh, absolutely. Um, but the comment I made to her to double check and Jed, I believe agrees is I think if a woman ever wandered into something, a place where she felt that it was quote radiating masculine energy, her only thought would be, I need to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there, there, there occur to me a, a few options that could be going on. One is radiating masculine energy. What you mean is there's a smell, in which case you should take a shower. That's That would be the, the first thing. If you mean that there's a smell like Axe body spray, you should use less of it. Like anytime you go in any place and there's a radiant odor, that's too much. So yeah. either either showering or or less of the body spray, that would that would definitely be good. Yes. Body spray is not a substitute for the shower. Yeah. No. Despite what you think when you're in seventh grade, that's you know, more of the one, less of the other. <laughs> the second is like, do you mean like you go in a place and it's super broy? Like you just expect to see dudes like doing chest bumps. Cause I gotta be honest, man, like, and no offense to bros. I'm, I'm not here to knock bros, but, um, Bro is a very specific aesthetic preference. And um, if you're not in the bro world, you you may not be looking to just kind of marinate in bro land. So if if that's what you're talking about with the, the radiating masculine energy, like it's a pretty small audience that wants to just, you know, be in bro town. Yeah. And it must be said uh, to, to give the bros their credit. Um, the bros as a community, the bro community, if you will, yes, is, is very capable of of gentleness and uh, excitement. You know, uh, I, I find the bros to be very welcoming and endearing people. Absolutely, but uh, I, I don't think if that counts as what this dude would would count as as masculine energy. You know, the, the good, the really good bro gym energy is when like a kid or an older person or somebody is just starting out, like. Fit actually gets up like 
the bar plus two five pound plates on the bench press and all the bros lose it in excitement. That's good, bro. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very, that's gold standard bro work right there. But I, I don't know if that kind of matches up to what our, our shaggy haired friend here thinks of as radiating masculine energy. And this thing is, if you walk into a church, you're just not going to find it radiating masculine energy. And, um, Jed and I have both been in church services where there have been, you know, prisoners, gang members, former and current military members, uh, accomplished martial artists and athletes. And I, 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 I don't know that I picked up on a particular radiation of aggressive or unpleasant energy. Yeah, no. But I do think there's a linkage. I have a church growth strategy. Oh, and that please. is... So you think of, you know, the kid and he's got the bar and plus, you know, five pounds on each side. And he manages to, you know, do one rep and, you know, the bros kind of lose their mind of, yeah, which is awesome. That's as it should be. Like, if I could go to church and someone was like, how was your week? And it's like, well, work was kind of hard and I really wanted to cuss out this one guy, but I decided not to because it probably wasn't the best idea. If I said those words and then got the bro response, like everyone jumps up and starts applauding for me because it's a really small thing, but it was a big deal for me. I think more people would go to church if that happened. Okay, so you're talking about like a church PR yeah. situation where like, yeah, I I stayed on the phone with this person who drives me crazy for a full 17 minutes before I said, okay, that's all I've got on that and hung up. Yeah. And that, yeah. I went for a PR. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Like if there were chest bumps all around to celebrate making it to 17 minutes without losing your mind, like, dude, sign me up for that church service. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know. But you get some kind of like CrossFit style slogans on the, you know, you're only competing with yourself. <laughs> we're not here to watch what other, what other people's PRs are, you know, you just get better than you were yesterday. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a, a philosophy we've been developing on this show in, in terms of like why powerful people kind of do unpleasant or awful things. And it, it kind of boils down to, because they wanted to, you can like and analyze like why they wanted to do that or why they go with it, but it's just, they wanted to, so they could. And I will yeah. give you a contrary uh, aspect to that, which is why aren't people dating? Because no one's asking anyone out. We've, mm. we've done the field research uh, to uh, talk about uh, recently, di- recently, once again, discredited public intellectual Malcolm Gladwell's one good idea. We've done the 10,000 hours of talking to people, but why there's not a lot of dating going on in the church. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's the lack of initiation on any side. Yeah, it's, it's that. It's not, it's not radiant masculine energy. Um, it's definitely, definitely not that church does not need to be more like the gym. No, that's, that's not a solution to anything, much less this problem. <laughs> And once again, because time is a flat circle and nobody learns anything, I'm just now realizing the horror about Christian TikTok. And it's this. It's like an infinite number of Josh Harris's all having their like 22-year-old opinions and putting them out into the world. And that's that's not a good thing. Yeah. No, no good's going to come from that. Like, to be clear, if you're 22 and you have opinions, that's great. You should have opinions. But the idea of wanting to uh, turn them into a platform for the idea of disseminating your opinions on masculine energy, that's, you could just not do that. <laughs> you do almost anything other than that. <laughs> go, you could go to the gym. You seem to like the gym. That's fine. Sure. Go throw around a medicine ball. It's been a while since I've been to the gym. Get those big clubs and spin them around with a nice, large, triangular weight. That'll radiate some masculine. You, you lift that triangular weight enough times, you're just going to pop a mustache out. It'll happen. I'm led to understand. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, on that note, we will declare emergency off. And in a rare bit of uh, synergy, that is going to tie right into our first question, which we will 
go ahead and jump to. As ever, if you have a question for us, you can uh, hang on this all the way to the end. I'll give you the email address and the website where you can get in touch with us, or you can scroll down in your episode description and click one of the links you find there in your podcatcher of choice. Our first question comes in and says, I hear people talk about godly masculinity or biblical masculinity. All the people talking about it that online describe something that is toxic and awful. Is there a non-awful definition of godly masculinity? And a, a cool question, and uh, we believe it or not, we set these questions before we found that uh, video to make fun of in the emergency segment. But, you know, sometimes the universe just gives you a little gift. Um, but I, I think it's a really cool question. It is one of those things that is, we talk a lot on the show about kind of Christianese terms that get thrown around. And some of them, I think, have it is self-evident that they have something to them that is worth digging in there. But then there are some that do seem like they could just be a baked awfulness all the way down. But, Jed, is there something positive, um, be that for, you know, for young men or for uh, women looking to be in relationships with young men? Is there something positive to the idea of a biblical or a godly or a Christian masculinity? I think there can be, but let's let's start with a few definitions and a few ideas, and we're going to kind of land on that. The first thing that we need to be clear about is that for all of the obsession that is currently going on with masculinity and for all the obsession with that concept that's gone on for millennia past, I mean, people have been pretty excited about the idea of masculinity for a long time. Interestingly, it's a very culturally variable idea of what that would look like. I'll give you a couple examples. There are countries in the world right now where men who are friends would hold hands and it's seen as a totally normal sign of affection. Um, in the United States, you would not do that. Um, in, um, you know, here's, here's a little bit of a, of a funny one because I grew up around this. Um, so in the American South, right, people, people drink sweet tea. They, they drink this incredibly, basically a syrup, um, you know, uh, and it's delicious. And of course you should do that. But like, if you were to go to, and, and, you know, you know, men drink sweet tea in the South. If you were to go to places elsewhere in the world and tell people that, you know, this is what they should drink, they, they probably wouldn't think of that as manly. And here's one more that's worth looking at. Uh, the following is slightly uh, not safe for the ears in the backseat. So if you have children listening, why do you have children listening to this podcast? That's a terrible idea. That that shouldn't happen. You've got bigger problems than what Jed is about to say. No doubt. That's the way you've chosen to live your life. All right. So it turns out, right, that if if you ask people, you know, well, what's what's the thing that makes someone uh, you know really manly? I mean, kind of the, the gut response is, well, having large genitals. Interestingly, the ancient Greeks who were obsessed with masculinity believed the opposite. They actually thought that a man should have uh, quite small genitalia. So I raise those three examples, one, because they're... Ho that will add a level to your understanding of Renaissance art. <laughs> it, it really will. That's totally true. It really will. So I raise those examples both to give you more appreciation of Renaissance art and because they're hilarious, and to drive home the point, this stuff is culturally variable and variable over time. There is not and never has been a consistent worldwide universally accepted definition of what makes someone masculine or manly. We're all really up in arms about it, but there's, there's not a good definition. Here's what typically happens is that when people are concerned about masculinity, they have a list of things that will diminish them and a list of things that will enhance them. Uh, if we want to put that in the best possible light, they have a list of things that make them less of the person that they were meant to be, and a list of things will make them more of the person that they were meant to be. As a Christian, you are taught by your Savior to believe that you are made greater by serving others. That is what your faith teaches. If you're not clear on that, that's totally cool, but that's actually a biggie in Christianity. You believe, as a Christian, that you are made greater by serving other people. And there are things that diminish you. Those things are pride and selfishness. Again, that's the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Those are things that come directly from Jesus. I want to repeat them given that. As a Christian, you believe that you are made greater, you are enhanced, you are made more by serving other people. 
you believe that you are diminished, you are made less, you are shrunken by pride and by selfishness. Those, those are in many ways the defining characteristics of what Christians believe, um, setting aside issues of salvation. So things that we're talking about masculinity and you, this would diminish you, this would increase you, um, if it's not about service versus selfishness, um, it's not anything to do with Christian masculinity because it's not actually anything to do with Christianity. I think that's a fantastic place to start that off. Really, really important point. And as, as Jed points out, the um, a concept of masculinity is very, very uh, contextual, depending on time, depending on culture, depending on a ton of things. And also, um, it I think some current and more harmful concepts of things like masculinity and femininity do definitely depend on a fairly um, totally insane idea of gender binary that like, you know, everybody's one thing or the other. Everybody has uh, a huge mix of traits. And again, some cultures define some as masculine and some as feminine. You know, it was not that long ago uh, in, and it certainly still is the case in certain cultures that uh, the idea was that for masculine people, t- it was very masculine for a man to cook or something yep, like yep. that. Um, you know, those kind of things certainly do shift over time. Um, a funny one, and it has a lot more uh, stuff kind of layered into it, kind of on an economic tip, but uh, pre- IBM pre kind of post-World War II um, computer programming was seen as a woman's job. Very similar to secretarial work because it was punch cards and it was very detail oriented about the time it became very prestigious and profitable. STEM stuff became to be seen as a masculine job and math is more masculine. But again, that's the thing. That's a shift that's taken a place mostly within my parents' lifetime. Yep. Just a full 180 on is this largely bucketed as a feminine or masculine thing to do sure. um, based on external factors. That stuff can change all the time, no doubt. But so if we're going to detach the idea of masculinity necessarily from something that only men do, but you know there are certainly things, a lot. certainly our culture, American culture, Western European culture would categorize as masculine that often have to do with things like strength is a big one. And, you know, uh, a certain amount of fortitude and logic and da 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 and all that stuff. But if we just wanted to take strength as the big one, um, there are a lot of perceptions of what that is, what kind mm-hmm. of strength to have, how it's used. You know, I go back to the emergency with the guy talking about at the gym Um, You know, if everybody went to the gym, they'd be so much more masculine. Well, a lot of Ironman triathletes don't go to the gym to bench press. But if you can finish an Ironman triathlon, and Ironman should be pointed out there that, um, and I have some friends who do them, Ironman is a gender-neutral term in the triathlon world, um, that you got to be incredibly strong in a lot of ways to keep your legs moving for that long. So even just in the idea of fitness, we have many different types of strength. And, but then there's also the application of strength. And I, I think one of the ver- more problematic and destructive traditional masculine ideas is developing strength and using that to destroy, essentially, to, to impose one's will, to do violence, to to, to dominate. Do, yeah, absolutely. To dominate, to intimidate. Um, and I think there that's obviously horrible and obviously anti-Christian, as, as Jed is pointing out. But there is a similar vein, which I think is a lot more to something that is uh, healthily masculine and definitely much more Christian. And that is the cultivation of strength with the aim to protect. And that could be, again, physical strength. That could be, you know, determination and inner strength. You know, the moments where, uh, you know, they're going to stone the woman caught in adultery and Jesus 
physically puts himself between an angry crowd with stones and this woman. That is a strong act. It's not an aggressive act. It's not a violent act. It's a strong act. And then to assert himself in that way that kind of turns them away and protects her, that is using strength to the benefit of those who do not have, be it, again, physically, culturally, socially, the amount of strength you have to stand up for themselves. I think that is a really positive and can be a really beautiful expression of something we would consider a, uh, at least, again, specific to our culture, a traditionally masculine trait, but it is spun on its side a little bit. It is given that lens of Christianity where we're not here to, you know, we're not here to pick up the sword. We're not here to destroy. We're not here to dominate. We're here to, to uh, serve and love and protect and cultivate. And those are things that all do require strength, but they do require a certain cultivation and application of strength in a way that is not necessarily the first blush of what we would think. But I think it's strength nonetheless. And if you want to code that as masculine, you're certainly free to do that. And I think that is a great way to think about, you know, being masculine. The the example from uh, a youth ministry days would be the the star linebacker who decides he is going to stand up for the kid everybody's picking on because he's the biggest bear in the woods and no one's going to pick on this kid if he takes the kid under his wing. That That's all about strength. That's all about uh, masculinity. That's all about all that stuff. It is being used in the case of being gentle and pursuing peace and uh, making someone's life better as opposed to trying to use your strength to make someone's life worse. And that I think can be a wonderful thing. And if that is part of your desire to express yourself as a masculine person, then I think that can certainly be done in, in a healthy and even, uh, even uh, productive way. It can be a very, very cool thing. All right. With that said, we've actually brought in uh, some outside sources to talk a little bit Ooh. more about some of this stuff. Jed sat down with auth author Chris Bollinger to talk about some of his works that relate to a little bit of what we've been talking about here. They had a great chat. We're going to take you to that right now. All right. Say that, friends. I am Jed Brewer, and I am here with a special guest interview. I have with us my friend and author extraordinaire, Chris Bollinger. Chris, how are you doing today? Good, Jed. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing really well, man. I'm really glad that you're here with us. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, my pleasure. So, Chris... I'm going to read you the words that Chris has written about himself because I, I think they're amazing. But to give you a, a quick preview, uh, Chris uh, has done many things. But the thing that we're going to be talking about today is that Chris is a writer and particularly a devotional writer. He's, he's written uh, devotions that have blessed a lot of people and given a lot of people uh, encouragement. But um, Chris specifically would not want you to think that that means that he is a wunderkind that succeeds at everything he touches. <laughs> uh, to the contrary, here's what Chris has to say about himself. This is from his website, chrisbollinger.com, which you are free to peruse. Chris is an average Joe Christian who writes for guys like himself. After 27 years in high tech, mostly as a product manager, he started Revitalize Ministries to strengthen small churches by offering innovative ideas to their leaders. The venture was a failure. He was also an executive producer of the film The Song. It was a box office flop. So he decided to write a men's devotional. Much to his surprise, and that of the marketing team and his publisher, that devotional, Daily Strength for Men, has sold over 200,000 copies since it hit shelves in late 2018. Uh, native of Akron, Ohio, Chris splits his time uh, between Northeastern Ohio and Southwest Florida. Against the advice of medical professionals, he remains a steadfast fan of Cleveland pro sports teams. <laughs> I, I, you definitely, my friend, you get the award for best bio that we've had in a long time. <laughs> I really enjoy that. Yeah, I've been in and out of counseling for years just for the Browns alone. So. 
<laughs> so uh, Chris has two books. The first one we just mentioned, Daily Strength for Men, a 365-day devotional. It's great stuff. Um, it has sold a lot of copies. It's available wherever books are sold. The new book, which is out this summer, is 52 Weeks of Strength for Men. Uh, it is also a year-long devotional guide. Now, here's what I did getting, you know, prepping for this interview, is I turned in both books to the topic that has to do with the day and the week of the year that we are in. And I found this fascinating overlap because in the first book, Daily Strength of Men, we're talking about one of the heroes of the faith, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, and specifically how even though he was born into great wealth and great privilege and, and lived the early part of his life partying pretty hard, at a certain point, he, he had um, the beginnings of a faith journey, and he decided to set aside all of his worldly wealth and all of his worldly privilege, all of his worldly stuff, and just, I'm going to help other people. And then I turned in the other book, and the topic for the week was all about equality in the church and all about the fact that worldly wealth and privilege shouldn't be a factor inside the church and that, you know, maybe you're a big deal in this one arena, but, but in the church, as, as the Bible says, we are all one in Jesus Christ. And I, A, I loved the overlap between those two topics. I, I feel like there may be a sign in there. And so, Chris, I want to really start with this question based on all that. You have written in both of your books about setting aside um, our wealth and our privilege and our standing and, and recognizing that we're all one in Jesus. Given that, why do we have, both in the church and in Christian culture, why do we have such a strong pecking order everywhere we go? Well, Jed, I've been in church pretty much my whole life. Um, you know, so in my many years in the church, I would I would say that you're you're spot on. I think that we we do have pecking orders. We have, we're intimidated by people in the church. And I know I was personally, most of my adult life, especially with men, um, I always felt like men in the church, at least the churches that I went to, they seem to have their act together, right? I mean, they, they, they seem to be stronger Christians than me. They seem to have the, you know, the great family life and, and my life you know, was pretty much a mess. So I think part of what happens in church culture is that we don't get real with each other. We, mm. we, we tend to put on airs. We tend to project an image because at least I know personally, I was afraid that if people found out what my life was really like, what I struggled with and the mistakes that I was making and the problems that I was having, especially in my marriage, I'd be exposed as a fraud. And then I, I guess I couldn't play in the Christian club like everybody else because everybody else seemed to have their act together. Now, I know I know full well, and it's no big secret to most people that, you know, most people in the church are struggling with something. But we don't we don't like to really lead with that. We don't like to let people know that. So we tend to hide out behind these 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 fronts that we put up um that oh yeah you know praise the lord everything's going great and it's not but we don't want to get real with each other i think you're so right man and you know you used a word that i think is really key and, and that word was club i was thinking about this before our our phone call and i was thinking about the way that at you know literal social clubs like you know, think of like rotary which not a knock mm -hmm. rotary does some amazing work in the world yeah. and I, I know some wonderful rotarians but at, at literal social clubs People generally are introduced and known via their strengths. You know, right. this is Bill, and he's a finance guy. Well, what we mean is Bill is good at and successful at finance. It's not just that he does it. He's, he, it's doing well, right? Um, and, and I think we get used, whether it's social clubs or professional networking or, you know, meeting other parents at Little League games, that we lead with our strengths all the time, everywhere we go. We, we certainly do that in job interviews and dating. And there's legitimate reasons for that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, part of what I hear you describing is maybe we do that at church too. Mm -hmm. Maybe we kind of lead with our strengths at church. Here's my question for you is, should we do that? And if not, what else is there? No, of course we shouldn't. But I, I think church is intimidating to a lot of men. And, and by that, I mean that... Um, you consider a, a typical worship service. So, you know, most people's experience with church ha happens on Sunday morning. They might be involved in a small group or a Bible study or, or something else during the week, but they, you know, most people are there on Sunday morning. And 
And if we look at the typical, you know, non-denominational or evangelical worship service, and I've seen this in denominational churches as well, there's not a whole lot to it. You you sing, you sing four or five songs, and you know, there'll be somebody uh, giving some announcements, maybe somebody reading a couple passages from the Bible. Then you've got a fairly lengthy sermon and a couple of prayers, and then you're done. And so, you know, you look at men in this kind of environment, and a lot of men really don't like to sing. So they'll stand up and they'll, and, you know, they'll give an attempt, but it's really not playing to their strength. The other thing that we're asking men to do in a typical church service is sit there for 30 minutes and listen to somebody talking to you. Where else in your life do you listen to somebody talking to you, a lot of times in a very cerebral way, about, you know, fairly detailed concepts, really deep concepts. So I guess the bottom line for a lot of men is that hour in church on Sunday morning just doesn't play to their strengths. You know, they're, they're, they're not quite sure what to do most of the time. They're, they're not really doing a whole lot. And so I think that, you know, outside of that, they're, they're leaning toward trying to present some sort of strength, whether they're, you know, meeting people inside the church service or after the service or, you know, involved in a quick conversation with somebody, you know, it's, it's just not really a terribly comfortable situation for them. And they tend to want to present something that they're good at, you know, the rest of the morning, they're, they're not going to, after that experience, they're not going to say, oh yeah, by the way, I'm really having trouble in my marriage. You know, they're not, they're not going to leave with that. <laughs> so, so they're going to basically say, yeah, things are going great. And they're going to want to lean towards something that they do do well, which may be, you know, maybe they're doing, you know, they're knocking it out of the park at the office or their golf games improved or something. Uh, and then they go home. The whole Sunday morning experience is a real challenge for most men. And so that's why they tend to put up a, a bit of a front because they don't want to be exposed as, look, I, I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable here and I really don't feel like I'm doing very well here during this experience. You know, those are really great insights. I know from talking to you before we hit record that you have found some things that made a real difference for you in terms of feeling more connected and feeling more engaged. What were those things for you and, and what do you think the implications might be for other folks that don't feel like they connect very well at church? For me, the Sunday morning experience just has been tough. And the way that I ended up connecting first with men and then with others in the church was through a men's ministry. Now, if we roll back about 10 years, this is back when I was, I had very few male friends. I had no close friends at church. I really was not connecting with people at church at all. This ministry gave a presentation at our church and they said, okay, guys, our, our flagship program, it's every week for two hours every week. You're, you're going to really get to know the guys in your group. There's going to be about 12 guys in your group and you're going you're gonna to spend a lot of time with these guys. And, you know, here's me and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I, this, this is so outside my comfort zone. But I was so tired of the way I was leading my life. I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. And it, and it changed my life, changed mm -hmm. my life, you know, in so many positive ways. But the main one was that I discovered that, you know, these are great guys. You know, any group of guys, you're going to find common ground with them and you're going to be able to build each other up. You're going to be able to encourage each other you know what, you're all right. You, you know, you're a good guy. And um, I, I'm, I'm here for you no matter what. And, and men hear this so rarely that when you get in a group with, you know, up to 12 other guys and you're hearing this on a regular basis, I mean, it's just earth shattering. It's, it's life changing. That's beautiful, man. Well, I want to ask a question that I think is going to link together a few of these things. You know, we started out by talking about kind of the pecking order in church and in Christian culture. And as you pointed to, and rightly so, so much of that is driven by varying forms of success. Um, mm -hmm. That can include work success, but it can also include relational success. You know, that guy has a really great marriage, and look at how well-behaved his kids are. Um, some of it is a form of aesthetic success. I mean, you know, there are a lot of worship leaders who have perfect hair. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, but a lot of the pecking order in church and Christian culture does kind of come down to varying forms of success. And I think that one of the things that it can lead us to that community in many ways can help us navigate, one of the problems it can lead us to is a belief that success or failure are from now on. Um, that if I, if I've succeeded at something, I've, that's, that's it. And now, you know, I live as a success story. And if I'm failing, well, that's, that's it. I am now, you know, living as a failure. There's a great quote. It's attributed to Winston Churchill, who himself was a person with both successes and failures, Mm -hmm. um, where he says, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And that's fairly obviously true, but not very much believed in in Christian circles. You have, by from your own bio and from your own story, you have a very interesting perspective of being someone who has enjoyed a great deal of success at moments and who has also endured really unpleasant failures at moments. What would you say to other people who are trying to figure out what their own successes and failures do and don't mean? And what role do you feel like having a vital community plays in figuring all that out? Well, those are great questions, Jed. Okay, so um, I think we all want to lead with our positive. We want to lead with our strengths. So I think that as Christians, we we minimize the areas where we struggle and we maximize the areas where we succeed or where we don't struggle. And so we, you know, we rank sins based on whether or not I de- I deal with that particular sin. I think non Christians spot that in Christians, and they and they rightly call it hypocrisy because we're we're ranking ourselves based on our successes or our lack of failures in certain areas i i agree with churchill i think that you know nothing's permanent you know if you're having success right now that doesn't mean you're guaranteed success in the future and if you're failing right now it doesn't have to be fatal and my best example for me personally you know got married in my mid-20s had three kids, um, you know, family's always in church. And, um, you know, on the surface, look like, you know, I'm a, I'm a good husband, I'm a good father, got the good Christian family going. And um, then my wife of 26 years left and I got divorced. Mm-hmm. You can project an image all you want, but the, but the reality is that if you're, if you're banking on your own, success is what you've accomplished or anything else and that can all come crumbling down in a moment what became an important passage for me when i went through that experience was um second corinthians one it's basically we praise the god of compassion because um he brings us through tough times so that we can assist others when they go through tough times and I think that's an important part of the Christian experience. I think that, you know, whether when we fail, when we go through something horrible, God will pull us through that. It may take time, but he will do that. And then we are uniquely equipped to help others who go through a similar experience. And, and so I really didn't hang out with divorced people much when I was married. Um, I'm, I'm since remarried to a wonderful woman. Um, as you know, I um, do uh, go Libby. She's great. (laughs) She's great. Um, but I've seen a lot of men and I'm sure that there's women as well, but a lot of men who just, I mean, it's just a horrible experience. It's horrible for everyone involved. I think that God uses our, our failures to, to help us be attuned to others. If, if we, if we pay attention I think we become we we can become attuned to others who are struggling and then we can help them through that struggle as we have been helped through that struggle ourselves. Well said. Well said. I have one more question for you, a closing question. There is undoubtedly a person who is listening to this podcast right now who is in many ways where you have described yourself as being, let's say, 12 years ago, where I'm a person of faith, but it's not really working very well for me. Um, I sometimes attend a church, sometimes I don't, but I, I don't feel very connected um, to it or in it. Um, 
I, I have struggles in my life. I don't really have anyone to talk to about them. Um, my relationships, you know, some weeks are better than others, but you know, a lot of them are, are not great. I don't really know what to do to fix all this. And I don't know if it is fixable anyway, to the person who is in that position today, what is the one thing that you would want to say to that person? You need other people. So how do you start to develop connections with and friendships with people? Um, well, for me, like I said, for me, it was getting involved in, uh, in a men's um, ministries in CLC. Um, I would encourage people to, to look for things like that. You know, if, if your own church doesn't have something like that, then look around elsewhere in your community um and and take take the plunge take a risk i mean for me it really was like i said it was outside my comfort zone but i was tired of living life the way that i was living it and i knew it wasn't sufficient so i think there are times and certainly you want to be prayerful about this and and you want to feel the holy spirit leading you towards something but um i think there are times where you need to take a risk. You need to take a risk because um, not doing that is going to be something you'll regret. Having taken a couple of calculated risks in my life, uh, both professionally and then from my Christian walk, I would say that that would be, if I had to boil it down to one recommendation, that would be it. Now, um, I could also recommend counseling. I mean, I've, I've, I joked about seeing counselors for the Browns, which is not entirely true. Um, but I, I have seen counselors off and on at various points in my life. And there are times in your life where you just need to, you need to sit down with somebody and really get yourself mentally healthier, uh, emotionally healthier. And so I, I, I would say it's all about relationships. It's all about connecting with people and you, you should take that step when you can to get in, in a small community um, of believers who can walk with you and strengthen you. Man, that's really great advice. For those who are listening right now, if you're saying either, uh, and it can be both and, you know, I need a group of people to connect with in person in my life. Um, I need uh, some counseling in my life. Maybe I need both, but you're not sure where to start. Reach out to us uh, through the usual channels here to the Say That Podcast. We would love to find a way to help you get connected with those resources in your area. As we often point out, don't let money be a concern. Those small groups generally don't cost anything. And in terms of counseling, um, we can usually help you find either low-cost or sliding-scale counseling. Our guest today, who has been amazing, is Chris Bollinger. Two books, the classic, Daily Strength for Men, a 365-day devotional. The new book, 52 Weeks of Strength for Men, they are available wherever fine books are sold. Uh, go pick one up today for yourself or for a friend or loved one in your life. Chris, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks again. I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, we thanks love having you. All right. We hope you enjoyed that talk with Chris. We'll have links to where you can find him online in the episode description. A very good chat. And bravo to Jed for taking the interview reins. Ooh. Bravo to you, sir. Thank you. Thank close you. out with one last question. It comes in and says, First John 3, 21 says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. What does it mean for my heart to condemn me? Is that different than guilt or conviction? Again, really cool question. We love when people uh, ask for the kind of the Bible breakdown questions. We have over the years in this show talked a lot about uh, the difference between guilt and conviction. I think it's been, it's a very useful kind of dichotomy, but I can totally understand why someone would think, oh man, there's a third thing I got to figure out here now. And nobody likes when there's a third thing, Jed. Absolutely. Least of all me. <laughs> exactly. But it is... I think in context, and when you dig into it, it is a, a cool verse that has some stuff to say to us. So where would we start with it? Well, we want to encourage you. We, we've talked about this before, but it's been a while, that one of the best ways to understand what the Bible's trying to say when you're not fully sure is to let different translations of the Bible serve as a commentary on themselves. So here's how we're going to do that. Uh, your verse is 1 John three twenty one. We can do the following trick on 
probably many websites, but there's two in particular that I recommend. The easier one for this is going to be Bible.cc. You can also do it at BibleGateway.com. But you're going to put in that verse, and you're going to look at the translation in every available translation that they've got. You know, look at that verse in like 25 different translations. And if you look at them all together, it's going to give you, I think, a little bit better flavor, a little bit better um, vibe of what this verse is trying to say. As a reminder, this was not originally written in English, so it had to be translated. I know this is coming as a shock, but just as a reminder. Was it originally written in like French or something? That That's right. That's right. Oh, yes. Old French. Oh. Very, very old French. So a, a, one thing that I've discovered in the last couple of years, I've, I've gotten to work on some music projects that are were not in English and, or in a few other languages. And one of the things that I've learned is that when you're translating something like there's always a lot of different ways to say something um, in translation, and they may be kind of within one percent of each other and what they mean. And so it's kind of a question of, you know, what what kind of vibe and feeling you're going for. So if you'll read back to back to back, you know, those 15, 20, 25 different translations of the same verse, I think it's likely to give you a better overall vibe of of what this was trying to say. The one that leapt out to me, it comes from the CEV, which is the contemporary English version, where this verse is translated, Dear friends, if we feel at ease in the presence of God, we will have the courage to come near him. Man, I love that. I, I love a lot about that. The first is, it makes total sense. Anybody where you feel not at ease in their presence, you're going to not really want to be around them, right? I mean, we've... We've all had people, whether it was a boss or um, a family member, where it's just like, man, I just, I just never feel like they really are approving of me. And you're not, you're not looking to have more engagement and <laughs> more interaction with this person who's quietly judging you. Like, I'm sure Aunt Mildred is a nice lady, but I am not her cup of tea, and that much is clear. I'm not going to do a road trip with Aunt Mildred for that reason. Oh, but my road trip with Aunt Mildred, we get greenlit by a studio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that's part of what it's saying here is that, you know, if we get it in our heads that God doesn't really like me, God doesn't really dig my flavor, God doesn't really dig my vibe, God's probably mostly pissed off with me, well, it's going to make it a lot harder for you to spend time with God. Um, that's that's kind of what this verse is saying, at, at, at least in part. If we, But if we have a sense of, no, God loves me, he digs me, he likes me, he wants me around, it's going to be a lot easier to want to spend time with God and, and to do so. The other takeaway that I think is super cool is God understands that you have feelings and that your feelings matter. For all of the the talk and kind of evangelical Christianity is it's about faith. It's not about feelings. Actually, God knows you have feelings. God knows that you have feelings. He understands that you have feelings and he knows that your feelings matter. The, th- the things that your feelings say may not always be objectively accurate, but the fact that you feel them matters and, and it matters to God. And, and he understands that if your feelings are telling you that God doesn't want you around, that that is going to get in the way that is going to, going to cause problems in, in the relationship. And, he wants you to be in a place where you feel comfortable in his presence, where you you have an emotional resonance with the idea that God loves you and likes you and wants you around. That's a really cool thing, man. Um, it's it's good to not only be wanted, which which you certainly are, but to be wanted by someone where it's important to them that you be comfortable. Man, what a rare thing it is in life to find people who want you around and want you to be comfortable and have a good time while you're there. That's, that's a rare friend that really feels that way about you. But the Bible saying is first that God feels that way about you. And that is awesome. That is good stuff. And so it was worth it to do the extra work, to read this verse and those different translations so we could land in that super cool place. Absolutely right. I think, it, and I would pick up right where Jed uh, led you off there. It's a really cool verse that and that word con- condemn just has a lot of a lot of stuff built up in it but i think that ties into with this verse because this is a verse about self-condemnation because the idea of god condemning you is really taken care of in really strong black and white terms in the rest of the bible kind of most famously romans 8:1 1, 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There isn't any. But I do think, to Jed's point about the, the emotions of it, I really appreciate this as an acknowledgement from, from God uh, via John here that, but you're still going to definitely try to do that to yourself. Yep. And that's going to cause a lot of problems and it's not going to help anything because it is just one of those universal things where that everybody falls into from time to time, no matter how good their theology is or what book they read or how long they've been being a Christian, where you just do convince yourself, you know, I bet if I was really, really mean to myself, I would straighten up and fly right going forward. And it just never works. And we all try to do that in the kind of in the stead of God being mean to us. I think that's an interesting part of the process of accepting God is not going to be mean to me, but I don't know. It feels like somebody should. I guess I have to do everything around here. Um, it's kind of that idea of, you know, the, the teacher was going to be easy on us or the boss or whatever. So I'm going to do my own extra set of laps or reading or whatever. And I'm going to really be hardcore and go above and beyond. Um, there are definitely things to go above and beyond in condemnation is not one of them. It's just God, God took it away because it needs to be sent away. We don't need to be dealing with it. It's not going to be helpful. And I think this verse does actually do a really nice job. And as Jed's describing, if we look at some other translations, we're going to find even more of that of really nicely summarizing why that is and how that works and really is more of a can be more of a touchstone for us when we feel the need to go to that condemnation. When we feel like that's going to be the the secret sauce that's going to really turn something around to remember that the, the condemnation you put on yourself is only going to get between you and God. So the best thing you can do for you and your relationship with God is accept that he has gotten rid of it and that there's a reason for that. And I think that will lead you to some really cool places. All right, we are going to leave that there. We want to thank Chris Bollinger for joining us one more time. A really fun talk he and Jed had. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Take with another Lee song this week. This is his version of the spiritual Jesus on the main line. Take with that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. Nothing you can do about it. Call him up and tell him what you want Jesus is on the
Tell him what 